0: This is your captain speaking. Welcome aboard DJ's Aviation Podcast. This is your home for everything aviation. From the latest news on aircraft, airlines, and airports, to documenting travel journeys unlike any other across the globe. Be sure to check out our second YouTube channel, Globetrotting at DJ's Aviation, where you'll find analytically driven coverage of the industry, which aims to answer your most burning questions. But for now, we're next in line for takeoff, so I'll pass you over to our host for today's proceedings, Dan.
1: A very warm welcome back to the DJ's Aviation Podcast, coming to you from a very snowy and also cold Canada. I hope you've been enjoying your December thus far. Of course the festive season is well and truly upon us and this will be my very first Christmas where I will see snow outside so that will be a unique experience. Being from Australia naturally most of our Christmases are with the air conditioner blasting on high. I just wanted to take the opportunity to let you know that you can listen to this podcast on any platform of your choosing, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts and much more. And I very much appreciate everyone that has been reviewing the podcast over on Spotify. If you'd like to uh, join that group, you can head to Spotify either on your iPad or iPhone or I think any type of mobile device or tablet device and search up the podcast and drop it a five star rating. Unfortunately, Spotify does not. support written reviews at this stage. That is strictly on Apple Podcasts. So if you prefer to write a written review, you can also do that on Apple Podcasts and I will read it out in the next episode. Today's episode is on my first time flying United Airlines long haul. Now, if you recall from the previous episode, I did briefly touch on the plans for that journey. Well, the recent journey just gone and why I picked United Airlines, but as a bit of a refresher, I did have the opportunity of flying united express of course part of the united airlines group from montreal down to newark back in august and was pleasantly surprised with the overall quality of the service quality of the flight and for it only being an hour and a half it was genuinely a very nice experience so i thought on the next trip around to canada i would give the us-based carrier a go it also meant that i've now completed every available airline that is flying from Australia to North America and back very recently, in fact. So I've flown Air Canada, Qantas, Delta, United, uh, American Airlines, and previously, Uh, had flown Virgin Australia. Of course, though, following them entering into administration, uh, they no longer fly the Boeing 777 and have massively reduced their international network, and that no longer consists of LAX as being a point of service for them. So, of the available uh, airlines that fly from Australia to North America, I've I've now flown each and every single one, and actually, all in the past year, I want to say. I think that's correct. I've flown American Delta, United... Qantas Air Canada, all in the past 10 months. So it's been interesting to see the differences in terms of service between each carrier. And uh, don't worry, I am looking at doing an in depth review either on my website, or there'll definitely be a podcast, but there may also be like a written review on my upcoming website, giving you just the rundown of my opinions and um, which I believe is best value for service, best value for money, and so forth. Very interesting thoughts uh, I think trialing United really gave me the idea or the understanding of which airline I thought was best and uh, spoilers but United is not uh, is not up there in the top top position. Uh, does that mean it was a bad flight? no not at all I just think for price and value for money and what you get probably there are better uh, better value for money in terms of service available there. So, beginning off the travel journey, like you know, uh, if you're a regular viewer or listener, pardon me, which uh, a lot of you do come back and are returning viewers, I was able to get some data off of Spotify thanks to Spotify Wrapped. And it's great to see that a lot of the people that listen basically listen to every single episode. So, we don't necessarily get very many new listeners. Um, I guess that's the difficulty of being in a niche in aviation uh, it's even more of a niche i'm sure in the podcasting world so but it's nice to see obviously people do return to uh, each episode that is published especially as this is very much just a, a side hobby passion project of mine so this is this was a bit of a unique flight for me uh, you may think why i was flying internationally out of my home melbourne airport now Uh, I've had many international flights this year, but none of them have actually been out of Melbourne. You may recall that almost on every single instance, I do have to travel up to Sydney, make that dreaded connection between the domestic and international, which most recently did catch me out. uh, And I just made the flight to uh, Vancouver, I believe it was, Uh, but the check-in had been closed 45 minutes and they uh, personally escorted my bag down to the plane. So I was trying to avoid that this time, and hence why I also picked United. It gave me the ability to fly directly from Melbourne. I picked San Francisco, as I have never flown through San Francisco. Uh, And This was a routing I definitely wanted to uh, give a try, rather than doing, for me, the boring LAX service, which I feel like I've done many, many times now, and I've transited enough through the airport, I wanted to do something new. That being said, I do really want to visit San Francisco. It does look like a beautiful city, but unfortunately, uh, there was not enough time, and as you'll hear in future episodes of the podcast, there really wasn't even enough time to see the airport, as most of my time there was spent running to security, bag drop, and more. For clarity, because I do know people listen to these podcasts well in advance. In fact, you could listen to this three years down the line. I was flying during the 2022 Thanksgiving period. So this was two days prior to Thanksgiving. I've never flown during, well, never flown to North America and the United States during Thanksgiving. So it was a bit of a unique experience to see the crowds, especially as we're recovering from the pandemic and see generally how busy it was, Uh, and you'll hear in upcoming episodes just what that was like in terms of crowds, uh, cars, traffic, and navigating around the airport. And, um, at one point, of course, leaving the airport for an overnight stay. So arrival at Melbourne airport was not early in the morning and was not at the domestic terminal. It was the international terminal, that being T2. The first time I've flown through the international terminal since 2019. So quite a long time naturally, just because I've always been going through Sydney. When I came back from the UK, it was actually into Adelaide and then on a domestic flight back down to Melbourne. So it's been a long time coming, going through well, they used to be doors if anyone is from melbourne you may recall that maybe growing up or through your adult years the main way to get to the international hall was through these doors and that they're quite world-renowned in terms of uh australians i should say australians very much loved these doors because it was a uh, the element of unknown back in the day and i remember growing up you didn't have all this technology and um it was pretty awesome to just go through these doors and you were going into another world. They That's changed given they've moved with the times and it's become quite a lot more modern, I would say. Uh, and now it's uh, some sort of ramp, a lot of exposed wood, which is something they've um, tried to roll out throughout the terminal. It is a nice look, I will admit, but look, nostalgia purposes, it doesn't really beat the doors, which honestly do look pretty bad in hindsight and weren't the most welcoming, but they had a bit of meaning behind them, I think, for lots of different people. Uh, so arrival there was around about 10 a.m., I want to say. So that was three and a bit hours before departure. Actually, no, I may have arrived at 9.45. or well, let's just say three hours and 15 uh, before departure. They did recommend three hours. I'm sure some people got there before four hours, but look, I was willing to try three hours and 15. I figured that was quite a lot of time. Would quickly understand that that was probably a good decision, but also could have probably got there a little bit earlier. Uh, let's just say that that's probably one of the messiest check-ins I've ever had for a, a flight. um, throughout this trip one of the biggest takeaways I think was the ability to understand the staff shortages and which areas are really hurting Uh, obviously in terms of face-to-face and airport there is a lack of employees but one of the biggest startling things about this experience of check-in was just where the people were deployed the workers Um, I had a lot of time just just to just to say I had a lot of time to be able to analyze and I think that Based on the personnel they had, they probably could have done it in a better manner uh, than what they had. I think they only had two check-in desks open for economy. Now, this is a full flight, I should mention as well. Uh, Load factors out of Melbourne have been incredibly high on multiple services, whether that's through to uh, San Francisco or Singapore. There's been great recovery on almost every single market, uh, bar China, which is still, as they still chase that zero COVID strategy. um, Every other market, though, is recovering really well, and the planes are going out basically full. So this was a full flight off to San Francisco uh, on board a seven eight seven nine Dreamliner. So multiple hundreds of people there trying to check in. They only had two for economy, one for premium. And then I think they had a further five employees that were walking around helping. Um, I should again mention that something that the airport has rolled out, not universally in terms of every single check-in desk, but they're definitely rolling out an automated international bag drop, not bag drop, pardon me, automated international check-in. Not a fan. I will just completely put that out there. I really, really do not like the automated uh, check-in. And I've said this before in previous podcasts, because I think while it will take some getting used to for a lot of people, um, I have had the chance to use it multiple times. There's always an issue. There's always a problem with the machine. It's either not working, it doesn't read your passport correctly. There's always some... It should be, in in theory, a very simple process. It should be as easy as scanning, I don't know, food at the supermarket, but it never is. In fact, it actually slows down the process. And um, while I've had the pleasure and I'm very grateful to have flown many times this year, there are people that may only fly once a decade or once every five years who have no idea... The travel process in general, let alone how to operate such a sensitive, I guess you could say, area on a machine with no one's assistance. And then, if you need someone's assistance, it does take that employee out of the equation for other people, and then it's quite a lengthy process. I was done the check in process, Uh, I think it took about 10 minutes, but there were some people that were there for 30 minutes. And, uh, the 10 minutes that I was there was purely because it wasn't working. It should have been a lot quicker, but it wasn't. And uh, I think that had they maybe applied those five people that were hovering around to desks, we probably would have actually streamlined the process. And that was, I think, something that a lot of people in the queue that we ended up talking to, or I ended up talking to, came to the realization, maybe if there were many desks that were empty and they weren't operational, I thought just dump the five people on there. And I think you could have more people at each desk and speed up the process because, um, check-in does take some time in terms of, and, and look, you have to apply the bag tag, which should be again, a very easy process. But for me, seems to be the hardest thing in the world. But, but, but this flight was the first time I actually managed to apply the bag tag correctly. So that felt like a sense of pride and achievement. But look, even after that, you then have to go into a queue to drop the bags, and that queue was atrocious, just to say the least. It was it was very bad, and I felt And this was nothing against the employees. Trust me, the the impl- well, bar one employee that was more security. All the United and all the airport workers were very very nice uh, all throughout, and I think you have to definitely exercise a great deal of patience. It is not their fault that the queue is ridiculous. It is not their fault that maybe the machines aren't working. Um, It's the unfortunate reality of an industry that is in dire need of workers and support. And as people flock back to these airports to travel and we're in the busy holiday seasons, these employees are completely under the pump. Um, Although, like I said, I do think they probably could have arranged it a little bit better. And I think there were too many people in the end, not really doing anything and just hovering around while the queue was 200 people. Uh, the overall check-in process, I want to say from arriving to bag drop actually took an hour and 40 minutes. Um, remember I got there three hours and 15 minutes before. So by the time I actually cleared security, I had to go to the gate because we're about to start boarding. Uh, luckily the inbound flight was delayed a little bit. So we were delayed in leaving Melbourne that saved, I would say a lot of people. Um, but look, when i arrived at the queue the queue was about 25 people and that took an hour and 15 minutes to clear 25 people uh, by the time i left that queue was doubled uh, actually not even doubled i'd say triple. there were easily 100 125 150 people queued up for the bag drop and then you also add all the people that were waiting to use one of the automated check-in machines quite a nightmare um and look very small spaces. That's something about Melbourne Airport. Um, Great in terms of connectivity because you can walk from the Qantas Terminal to the International to the Domestic very easily. You can then also walk to Terminal 4, which is home to your JetStars, uh, Rex, and soon-to-be Bonza. So the connectivity is great, but it also means that they're not large spaces uh, like you may see with uh, Toronto, or definitely having flown now through many different uh Canadian and American airports, I'm able to see that they have very, very large spaces, um in terms of their check in and backdrop. It's just it dwarfs that of um well, what that's not the right word. What is the right it's very much It makes Melbourne just not look very good. It's very enclosed. The ceiling is very low. You're checking in basically two meters away from the the road of the door. There's not a lot of space. I guess that's a better word. There's just not a lot of space in uh, Australian airports in terms of check-ins. So very quickly, it can feel very cramped. And then there's an idea of people not knowing where to go. Um... Which is which is a problem, and I've having spoken with people at Melbourne Airport, they're trying to find ways to, I guess you could say, improve the flow of traffic. Uh, but the reality is, it's really only check-in where I feel like that's happening. Uh, once I did clear check-in, it was pretty smooth sailing, and honestly, one of the nicest security and passport control processes I've ever had. We'll get onto that in a second. Um, I was going to record a flight review. So this would have been for publication over on the YouTube channel that did not happen in the end. Uh, it was very much like hit or miss whether I was going to do it. It would depend on many factors and I had started recording it. However, um, as I recorded the road of the airport and recorded the doors, and then walked in a couple of steps and was just doing a b- bit of a pan to show the airport, a security guard came up to me, a woman, um, and said to me, what are you doing? Delete that footage. This is a private security area. Uh, so, deleted the footage. Was was vi- I didn't want to argue with her. I think the last thing you want to do before a fly to start arguing with the security person and then nowadays, what are they going to do? They're going to take you to a room, interrogate you, figure out what your purposes are. Anyway, she was like, it's a security area. I'm like, no, it's not. Um, This is still a public area. It's not a security area. I know that because I was not the only person taking pictures. It's it's pretty customary at an airport for people to take pictures, to take videos of their loved ones. The security area is once you get to the security area, which you're not meant to have mobile uh, devices out at that point. And really, there's no time to anyway, because you're taking your belt off. You're taking your electronics out, your bag. It's a pretty stressful time. But in terms of a public area where there are restaurants, you can use your mobile device. She seemed to say otherwise. Um, and then that started a basically a host of like interrogating me. So first of all, it was to delete it. Then she was like, where are you going? Where are you from? What's your name? How old are you? Just unnecessary. Um, and then once she had done that, she let me go. And then when I was in the line again, she came up and started interrogating me and asked the same questions, asked to see my passport, was like, where are you headed? Why are you going there? Just really odd. I was the only one in the entire queue for that period that she seemed to come at. And then the people around me were like, God, what on earth you you think you're like a criminal or something? I'm like, well, apparently, apparently so, according to her. So yeah, at that point I was just not really in the mood to record the flight review, but I did do other trips to security, a very, very smooth process. Melbourne airport is, uh, lucky in terms of they have upgraded their, uh, what's the word? Their bag drop, not the bag drop, their security, uh, screening machines, if you will. So now you don't have to take anything out of your backpack. This is being, or, or luggage, this is being quickly rolled out across many airports in the world. Something I think streamlines the process and also reduces a lot of stress for someone that may, Get stressed while traveling and, and get worried. And I know that approaching a security line can be quite daunting. Uh, you don't know if you've taken the correct things out. Well, luckily, thanks to this new technology, you don't need to take anything out. It's as very simple as putting your backpack or your bag or whatever you're taking in a tray and sliding it to the woman and then walking through. And also, of course, having nothing on you, so like taking out your phone and wallet and then just walking through. I forgot it was weird. I I left my watch on. I forgot to take it off, which I never do, but you get almost get in that mindset of, oh, I don't need to do anything anymore, but you do. And I walked through with my watch, it went off and it was like, oh, that's fine. So look, definitely a much more relaxed experience. And I think that's going to help a lot of travelers and reducing the queues because it is as simple as just putting it on and, and walking away. Also, I think the Melbourne airport security for internationals is quite a large space but is done very well uh probably on the complete opposite to check-in but their security is done very very well very very easy process collected my bag got my passport out thanks to the electronic e-gates scanned it walked through done within three minutes um quite incredible to see how long you spend at check-in and bag drop and all the issues there and then such a seamless process through security and uh border control look 3 minutes is quite incredible so then you go through the duty free which has definitely received a facelift in the past 5 years it now more looks like a designer shopping center if you will uh, but that's that's where their money sells they want people to go into the Rolex store not for me i could not care less about that i find the news agencies more interesting than the the duty free so but it does look better than it did. Uh, I remember going in, I think 2016 and it looked pretty run down. I don't know what they've done with the arrivals area, but I do know there was always a staggering difference between the arrivals and the departures and the arrivals was actually very, very dull. So I'm hoping that maybe as part of this upgrade, they've improved that too. Yeah, Cause naturally, if you're a tourist, you're coming into the Melbourne arrivals hall, uh, and just the general passageways, it used to be really, really, um, dull and dark. So fingers crossed they changed that as well, but I think uh, I'll probably find that out, uh, in a month or two. So, uh, then it was, it was very simply just needed to ha- have to head to the gate. Uh, I have a running streak of not being able to see my plane at the gate. This is something that I don't, I don't really understand it it's just one of those if you have one of those things when you fly that you want and you never get that's basically me with the um, with seeing my plane at the gate what, what I mean by that is when you fly you obviously bought a plane and, and there's windows in the terminal for you to look outside and, and for the most part every gate has a view from the window so you're able to see the aircraft. At least for the most part. Most major airports, you're able to see the plane you're flying on. I have this really weird streak of just not being able to see that, but it's to the point where there'll only be like one gate. in. Well, for Melbourne, there's basically one gate in the entire international terminal that you can't see your plane, and that's, of course, where my United Aircraft was. Um, It's just little things, and I think they're more like personal gripes of mine where it's just like oh, i'd love to see the plane oh it'd be really cool to fly on the new united livery and then it's like the one day in the week where the old one comes in that's when my flight is little things like that i know i can track back to uh sydney when i was flying on a Qantas 787 and uh i saw the uh i think it's yam dreaming anyway the aboriginal livery that has been painted on the 787 I, I saw that parked up and it was in the direction of my gate and i was like no way uh, backstory, I've never flown on a special livery aircraft. Um, I've always been like so close, but I've never, I've never ever flown on a special livery. I know it doesn't matter because you're in the plane, but it's still cool as an aviation enthusiast to be like, I flew on this specific special livery. Anyway, back to the Qantas story, there was the Aboriginal aircraft there and, uh, it was in the direction of my gate and, um, Right next to it was just a regular 787 with Qantas and which gate was mine. It was that one. And also you couldn't see the plane. And I just remember going like, oh, yes. I really thought for a second. And what what adds insult to injury is I was going to Vancouver and the uh, Aboriginal liver was going to Los Angeles and they were leaving within like 30 minutes of each other. So it was just like a bit of a, a kick in the face of I felt I was so close. Anyway, back to the United story. The only reason I couldn't see the plane... From a perfect angle was because the incoming flight was delayed about thirty minutes, and then had its gate moved. So, just little things like that that's are laughable. By the time I arrived, um, I did figure we would be delayed, and we were. Uh, that's thanks to the inbound flight. Also, on top of that, I think even if the inbound flight had not been delayed, I think processing all those people at check-in just like I said, it took me an hour and a half. And when I was leaving, there were still people arriving and the queue was double the length or sorry, triple the length. So yeah, I don't think it was going to be, I did not think it was going to be a quick process. And I guess in a way for everyone that was stuck in that queue, you could definitely be thankful that the aircraft was delayed inbound uh, because then it allowed everyone to make the flight and it was a very full flight. Um something I noticed throughout this journey is there was not really a spare seat on any of the aircraft that I jumped on board, and that's a stark contrast to a couple of months ago when there was quite a few spare seats. Um great in terms of aviation recovery, and how everyone will say if you're in economy, bad in terms of comfort, because it does mean a full plane means you can be quite cramped in. And my journeys are not short. They're not three hours, they're usually spanning across this one in total was from the time I set off from home to the time I arrived in uh, in the bed in Canada, it was I think fifty s- six or seven, I want to say, hours on the go. So uh, they're not short journeys. So you savor those little moments of potentially having a uh, a middle seat. So no, this plane was completely full. Uh, in terms of boarding, a very smooth process. Uh, went up to the, the, the desk and just explained I had a peanut allergy and they were like, that's perfectly fine. Uh, you can get on a little bit earlier and let the, the cabin crew know, wipe down your tray table, which I did. So that was nice to see that it continued on from the United Express flight where that they were pretty accommodating with that. Um, again, boarding smooth. We were sat on the aircraft quite some time, again, because we had that delay. I think there were still people coming on. There was still stuff being loaded on as well, Um, naturally, because as I mentioned, there was such a large queue at check-in that bags were still coming through even past our departure time that needed to be loaded on. It was uh, not maybe the smoothest transition of the bags to the plane that you will ever see, but that's really the unfortunate reality of not enough cabin crew and and slow check-in times, which again are due to the constraints on the industry at this point, which hopefully with all the large recruitment drives that we are seeing will change and we will see great improvements in the coming years. But it's It's definitely an industry that probably isn't as attractive as it once was. Uh, If you take a look at the jobs that are readily available, the pay, the amount of manual labor that goes into it, I think it deters a lot of people um, and that's probably something that needs to change. Uh, What I mean by that is the pay and the conditions of the job. Uh, I think if the pandemic has taught us anything in terms of roles and people that have been offloaded from positions, it's trying to do things you enjoy. Uh, But also people like the flexibility now. They like the ability to work from home or work in a hybrid. Naturally, in an airport, you can't work hybrid. So I think the working conditions do need to be improved. Um, And that especially comes down to pay and so forth. Uh, But there's not been a whole lot of Uh, wiggle room on that recently, which naturally does have negative repercussions in bringing people into the industry. The flight was pretty uneventful. Uh, Not a whole lot happened. I feel like most of the discussion is the airport experience. Uh, That's because I fly economy, so nothing really happens. I think the few times I've flown business, there's been a more in-depth review because something is always happening. But the reality on a um, 14-hour ocean crossing flight, you're fed twice, in regards to the meals, uh, they were fine. A lot of people commented on, they were quite small portions. Um, I I guess if you really want to be, go get down to the nitty gritty is definitely smaller portions compared to other airlines. But look, I want to save the comparisons for a, a proper review of the, of the crossings, um, which airline is best as for this one, there weren't really any complaints. Uh, the, the, the 787 cabin felt a bit cramped. I will admit, Uh, in comparison to other airlines I've had the pleasure of flying on I just think that comes down to the 787 though Uh, I do prefer the A350 for flying well I prefer the A380 and 747 but in terms of similarly on those routes you'll usually see the the 787 or 350 um, and I definitely prefer the 350. It just feels a bit less cramped. It also comes down to how these airlines configure their planes. Like for instance, the Qantas 787 cabin is so much better than United or Americans on the exact same aircraft. There's a lot more space. Um, So something I think I'm realizing as well is that in terms of value for money, and if you're going to be in economy and a cramped economy, maybe you need to uh, look at other alternatives and look for me it's like you live and you learn and now I've experienced it I know that probably will not I'm gonna have to because I have a flight voucher with them but I probably will not opt for United long haul say for 15 hours there was nothing really wrong with them as I'll explain on previous flights in fact probably among my favorite flights ever but for a 14 hour ocean crossing I think I'd probably opt for an airline that didn't feel as cramped for say a full flight. Um, other than that, look, not much happened. It was for the most part, the lights were dimmed, uh, right up until our landing in San Francisco. So I just tried to catch some sleep, which was very, very difficult, but I did manage to, uh, have a rather unorthodox strategy of sleeping on the tray table. Um, yeah, apparently that worked and I somehow fell asleep on and off for about five hours on the tray table. Did wake up very sore, but that seemed to be more comfortable, um, than reclining in the chair. And you may think, why? Well, the recline in my chair was broken, so it didn't stay in place. Uh, so as you know, in economy, you press the button and the chair goes back. Yeah, mine mind didn't hold in place. It would just keep coming forward. Um, I only realized that like two hours before landing because I felt I, I did feel like my f- seat wasn't really reclining back. And I was like, this is weird. Maybe this plane just doesn't, these seats don't have good recline. But I was looking at uh, my seat mates and they seem to recline a lot further back than me and then i think i came to that realization oh actually it doesn't hold all the way back um so maybe i would have been more comfortable if the seat reclined back fully but it is what it is at least i was comfortable on the tray table uh landing into san francisco was nice um beautiful day for flying trust me an absolutely glorious day Uh, not a cloud in the sky in terms of approach into san francisco very clear skies um Lovely conditions. And yeah, touchdown was smooth and a little bit delayed. And uh, that's really when everything just fell apart again. Uh, It was meant to be an hour and 40 minute layover. And let's just say it didn't turn into an hour and 40 minute layover. Probably one of the most stressful connections I've had. And uh, if you listen to the podcast where I connected in Calgary, where uh, I had, I think it was, ooh how long? No, I was the last one on, no, I was the second last one on the plane. Um, and I did have to run across the airport. Thankfully though, Air Canada had like good communication and knew that I was coming and someone else was coming to the flight. So they were able to hold it for us this time that didn't happen. And let's just say it was very, very hectic. It was also during Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, unlike my flight in Calgary, I needed to, uh, clear security again and collect my bag. And had to go through US customs. So I'm going to leave it there and save you on a bit of a cliffhanger. Apologies, this one wasn't as detailed in terms of the flight. It's just the reality that I don't think a lot happens on them. Uh, Someone else may say the opposite and may love to give you all the in depths of the IFE, um, but I feel like all IFEs are, are pretty much the same. If something stands out to me, I would definitely. Uh, make make note of that like as an example I really like the Air Canada uh, tracking on the IFE it's really brilliant but as for United there just wasn't much to say it was a flight um, quite a lot of money for what you get so I guess I would leave it on a pleasant flight but maybe not worth as much and I think for value for money you could probably go on a better alternative that had uh, higher baggage and uh, more but it was a good experience and they are uh, I wouldn't say they redeemed themselves because they didn't really do anything to lose any credibility to me. It was a nice flight, but definitely my thoughts on them upped tenfold on my next flight, which was the first ever time I flew on a 757 uh, across the United States over to the lovely New York. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I do, as always, very much appreciate the support. Again, a 32-minute episode, so we're hovering around that 30 minutes for every episode. Um, I just wanted to say a very a very big thank you to everyone that listens to these. I hope you have a lovely holiday, uh, festive, Christmas, however you choose to celebrate season, whether you're with family, friends, or by yourself. Um, enjoy it. Try and have some time off and uh, I will see you next weekend, hopefully permitting anything uh, that goes wrong. So don't hold me to that. It may not be next weekend or maybe the week after. It all depends uh, for my Boeing 757 review with the United Airlines and quite a a rush to get to that plane, uh, to say the least. That included some many unfortunate circumstances, which left me so close, but yet so far. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. As always, feel free to rate the podcast if you haven't already. I will just again to confirm, say that you can go to Spotify on any iPad or mobile device, uh, search up the podcast, and then just click those stars. And if you want to give it a one star or a five star review, uh, any sort of feedback is greatly appreciated. And as always, you can then head to Apple Podcasts. And it doesn't matter what I think platform you're on, you should be able to review it. Um, You can also add a written review. So if you want to say something, I will uh, gladly shout you out and read your review in the next episode. Do take care. Thanks for listening. And I will see you uh, next weekend or potentially across some of the other social platforms that you may follow uh, the brand on.
0: And a very warm welcome to your destination. Please keep your seatbelt fastened for the following. This has been the DJ's Aviation Podcast One of the most unique podcasts On the internet Offering up your one-stop shop For all things aviation From news to incredible stories Detailing trips worldwide Leave a review And follow the podcast On your preferred streaming platform For Onward Connections Check us out on Twitter At DJ's Aviation Or the show notes To join our partner Discord server See the website And more And like to thank you sincerely for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back on board shortly for another episode of the DJ's Aviation Podcast.